The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Our midweek study group that uh, meets uh, Wednesdays at noon has been uh, reading through a book by Diana Butler Bass. It's entitled A People's History of Christianity. It's a wonderful book, takes uh, quite a broad sweep of uh, the Christian church, its history. And the part we're in right now, she talks a little bit about the problem with some translations and how the way a particular word, sometimes just one word, can make a tremendous difference in the way the church has come to understand a particular theological principle. Well, I think that's the case for us today. And so uh, uh, even though I had a professor once tell me, whatever you do, don't turn a word study into a sermon. (laughs) I think I have. (laughs) So bear with me. (laughs) Nicodemus. 
comes to Jesus in the night. And you recall that uh, the Gospel of John is, is filled with symbolism and with metaphor. And one of the symbols that he uses is that of darkness and light. And uh, perhaps in this case, it's, uh, it shows something of his lack of understanding. He's coming with perhaps his spirit feeling somewhat that way. He's not yet come into the light, so to speak. And he comes to Jesus alone because he's a prominent person in Israel. He is a leader of the people. He's a teacher of the people. Nicodemus was uh, must have been quite a person because he uh, not only does Jesus recognize this in him and acknowledge it, but he was a Pharisee and the Pharisees took their faith very seriously. I think sometimes that we are uh, too quick to, uh, to to kind of toss off this idea that the Pharisees were all bad. Uh, in truth, many of us would have been Pharisees if we could have been, if we lived at that time, because they were people who took faith seriously. They studied the law. They wanted to know how it was that they could draw closer to God to be seen as righteous before God. And the way they believed they could do that was by following the law in every bit of the law, not to not to disobey any of it. So they were very particular about law keeping, and he would have been seen as a very upright and righteous man. Well, he greets Jesus and acknowledges uh, the, the wonders and the signs that Jesus had been performing and uh, says that you must truly be of God to be able to do this. Well, Jesus doesn't take that flattery <laughs> and wallow in it. In, in fact, he comes back right away and goes to the heart of what seems to be troubling Nicodemus. He says to him, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, those of us who grew up learning scripture in the King James Version will remember that we've always heard that as born again. How many times have we heard that phrase? Uh, sometimes it's even used by the media to distinguish two kinds of Christians, those that have been born again and the rest of us. <laughs> now, I want to say at the very beginning that I do not denigrate or in any way question the spiritual experience or, or a spiritual uh, reawakening or a, uh, a transformation of someone's life. When someone describes it and they say the only thing, only way I can describe this is like being born again. I'm a new person. I'm not who I was. I'm totally different. Something happened. I've changed. And it can happen like that. I have experienced that in with other people and seen that in their lives. I in one sermon not too long ago said that I would say something about my own spiritual journey. And someone said to me afterward. I didn't hear any of that in that sermon. <laughs> and the reason is because it's really kind of boring. I didn't have that kind of a transformational experience that I can put my finger on. Not one single one. And I think many Christians who have grown up in a Christian home, who have been praying at mealtime and hearing scripture read and reading scripture, going to church, going to Sunday school, it's all so much a part of our lives that it, it's the it's it's the the ocean that we've been swimming in for so many years. But I can say that there have been moments of epiphany when I have had a new understanding of who God is in Christ and who I am standing before God. So 
there are those moments when I can understand when a person talks about that transformational experience that was so life changing that they they refer to it as having been born again. But I talk about this this morning because I think this phrase uh, kind of limits our understanding of of coming to Christ. It isn't about saying a formula or a set phrase to accept Jesus as our savior. It's something deeper than that, because it's not just what we do. It's what God is doing in us. Now, looking at this word, uh, there's the, the Greek that stands behind uh, what we have had translated born again is probably better translated in John's gospel as born from above. And there are a number of reasons for that. It can be understood as born again, much like we would say, take it from the top, renew, start over. It has that uh, connotation as well. But the translators look at other things when they decide how they're going to translate a particular word. And they look, for one thing, they look at the vocabulary used throughout the gospel. And everywhere the Greek word that stands behind this is used, it has been translated and it, and it means from above. So probably the, the way it should be translated, the way we have it in the New, new Revised Standard Version, is where Jesus says one must be born from above. Now, Nicodemus complicates our understanding of this by immediately taking it literally and not seeing the metaphor that Jesus is holding out to him, using birth as a, as a metaphor to help him understand what it means to be one with God and part of God's kingdom. Now, for us to understand this more deeply, there's something else we need to look at. And that has to do with birth status at the time of Jesus and Nicodemus. One, uh, uh, one inherited from the father the honor status of the father. So if you were born to someone who was of high honor status, you would have that status and you'd have that status pretty much throughout your life unless something happened to you that would cause dishonor or shame. And what Jesus seems to be saying is, that you are born of a father who is in heaven, of the heavenly realm, of the realm of God. The honor that you have because you are born from above, born from God, is the honor that can only be given by God. And the other aspect of that that's so beautiful is that because we are all God's children, because we are born from above, we all have the same honor status. And at the time of, of Jesus and Nicodemus, that would have been pretty revolutionary to say that everybody, everybody who is born from above has the same honor status. We are all the same. We are all God's children. I think there's another very important aspect of this unnatural birth from above. Being born from above is not something we do, but it's something that God does. Now, we can accept natural birth as something that we had nothing to do with very easily. But it's hard for us to grasp the idea that our spiritual birth is also something that we have really nothing to do with. And this gets us back to Nicodemus and him coming to Jesus. 
Nicodemus believed that he had to do the right thing. He had to say the right words, had to go through the right rituals, had to obey every letter of the law in order to be acceptable to God. If we do that, we are doing something that is contrary to the ancient tradition of the Christian church. Because it is not what we do. It is what God has done and continues to do for us that makes us a child of God. Now, Jesus reinforces this understanding with uh, about this mysterious initiative of God by saying the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. Now, this spirit birth from above is as mysterious and as beyond our understanding as anything could be. And it certainly is beyond our control. Nicodemus believed that if he did the right things, if he only did the right things, he would be acceptable. And sometimes because of our need to control the spirit, we hang on to that same idea. If I just do the right things, if I do it, if I can do it, then I'll be acceptable to God. Now, I'll tell you one time when I had an epiphany, and it was exactly around this particular point. For whatever reason, one night meeting with a group of men that we had met together for a couple of years, that we met every week, prayed together, talked about things going on in our lives, in our families. And one night, the guy who was pretty much the leader of our, of our prayer group said to me, You know, Tony, you can't make yourself good enough for God. And that just struck me in the face. I can't make myself good enough for God. No, you can't. God wants you just the way you are. And God's love is enough to make up for any deficiency you bring. For me, that was one of the epiphanies along my journey that transformed my understanding of who I was in the presence of God. Because I know my life. I know my shortcomings. I know how hard it is if I have to do it all. But the truth is that I don't. God is all that matters in making our lives different and transformed. The other thing about this, though, is that uh, I think we need to look at this passage very briefly of John 3.16. Because, you know, it's... Uh, Every football game, we've got John 3.16 in the end zone. And uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. John uh, David Lowe, who is a professor at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, said that uh, we, we need to be able to hear that passage a little differently in order to understand the full impact of it. Once again, the Greek word that stands behind the word we translate world is a word that implies that this world is a world at uh, complete, uh, completely against God, has nothing to do with God, doesn't want to know anything about God. So he said we should translate that for God so loved the world that God is for God so loved the God hating world that he sent his only son. And that, of course, brings us to this question, how far does God's love really extend? Who can be included 
We're so quick to decide who shouldn't be, who could be included. The German theologian Karl Rahner says that the love of God is so attractive, so compelling, that ultimately all will say yes to God. Now, he would be supported in that, by the way, by Clement, Origen, Barth, Bonhoeffer, Tillich, and many others. The one, one author put it this way. The good news is that love wins. <clears throat> well, I believe that, that uh, this story about Nicodemus is an important one for us, especially as we're on our Lenten journey. The spirit wind wasn't done with Nicodemus that night when he came and talked with Jesus. Uh, further on in, in John's gospel, we find that Nicodemus stands in the Sanhedrin and makes a, an attempt, uh, not a very good one, but an attempt to help Jesus as he's uh, brought before them for trial. But then finally, we see Nicodemus with uh, Joseph of Arimathea at the cross with Jesus. And they, they have taken him down and he is uh, rolled and, and covered in spices and a cloth is put around him, preparing him for a proper Jewish burial. He's there <clears throat> at the end. He is there. And I believe that that makes it very clear to us that the spirit wind got to him, that he finally understood that he was he was good enough for God to love him. And I think that that's important for us to reflect on as we go through our Lenten journey, because we often so much focus on what we have left undone or the things we have done that have not been good. When in fact, our journey to the cross is about what God has done. And so in the end, love wins. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>